0: check okay.
1: everyone and welcome to another episode of rx radio i'm your host richard waith and i am super excited about today's episode we're going to dive into a topic that we might not have really gone into much and that's the topic of pbms and uh to do that today i have on here with me uh dr vinay patel uh vinay welcome to the show thanks so much richard glad to be here so we're going you're doing some really interesting things um and and this it really plays into the theme of kind of what i like the podcast to be about and that's kind of you know interesting roles that pharmacists play out into the field um, that are not traditional and not just your kind of, you know, hospital versus retail position. And, and you're doing something really interesting. And um, we're going to get into that. And I'm and i and I'm happy that you're going to give us a little background as to PBMs and what it is, why it exists and, and some things like that. And but before we do that, before we jump into to those specifics, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Absolutely. Uh, again, thanks so much for having me on your podcast, Richard. Uh, It's an honor to be here. So I've been a licensed practicing pharmacist for the past 12 years in the community setting. I've had various roles uh, that I have been uh, uh, privileged to participate in where pharmacy typically doesn't find uh, commonly find themselves in. And so Uh, I have went out to, after I graduated from the University of Florida, went out to the Bay Area in California and did a residency with Kaiser Permanente, an amazing experience, a managed care residency out there. And then I taught uh, for a couple of years at Tarot University and set up their ambulatory care pharmacy at their medical center. And that was uh, the best experience that I could have had right uh, after my residency to really apply all the principles that we learned and sort of get into the real uh, nitty gritty details of executing a pharmacy program, setting up services and really expanding those services, getting the doctors to buy in and, and what that means. And, and uh, that relationship that, those, that, that, that I had with those physicians was uh, incredible. I was going to stay with me throughout my career. Once, uh, once we uh, my after I worked uh in California, I, my best friend from pharmacy school called me back out to, or called me out to North Carolina, where he had opened his first independent pharmacy, uh, and that was my first foray into independent pharmacy, helping him manage and uh, run that pharmacy that he had out here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and worked there for for about a year before he had to sell to Walgreens, and then. Worked with this. uh, Worked with an interesting organization. It's called Doctors Making House Calls. Got to be a part of that organization to see how providers can be in the community at patients' homes and integrating themselves into homes when patients need them. They they called them up, and uh, that was an incredible experience. Got to do some annual wellness visits. I I uh, want to say that I was one of the first few pioneers to set that up as soon as Medicare allowed that, and we were doing that in the community, uh, billing for services and setting that up, and we had a chance to share it with some other pharmacy organizations at the time when we had done that, and also doing some medication reconciliation, chronic care management for them, and then finally worked at uh, for the state uh, CCNC and was able to set up another ambulatory care clinic for their um, for their program to help high-risk Medicaid population patients with their pharmacy needs as well in in, in a physician practice out here in North Carolina and uh, finally worked at a uh, home delivery pharmacy also here they we serve Medicaid patients in five different states uh, ran clinical operations for that pharmacy and uh, you know was interfacing with health plans and interfacing with you um, with a customized homegrown software, dispensing software that we could extract data and help manage a team of about uh, 18 pharmacists that helped to do medication reviews and get drugs out to this vulnerable population. Uh, so through all of that experience, just had uh, this, this, uh, ex- this experience that there's another entity above pharmacy that really dictates our lives, controls what we do, how we do it, what we say, and, uh, we really wanted to tackle that problem, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later.
1: Yeah. Well, I could probably honestly say that you have the most diverse background in terms of your experience that anyone has been on this show. So <laughs> that was pretty extensive. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I feel like we can have like five other episodes based off of some <laughs> of your other experiences there, which is cool. Hopefully I'll be able to have you back on. Um, absolutely. I heard, I heard really nice things about Kaiser, um, uh, Permanente out there, uh, Uh, Was that truly like, is that kind of, is the hype behind that institution, you know, really, um, really true?
0: Without a doubt, without a doubt, they have systems that they have put into place that allows for a model of integrated care. Uh, They have pharmacists in every single one of their outpatient facilities with groups of physicians and helping them being, being inside the physician pods where they see these members walk in and out they have an enormous amount of data mining that they do to help manage their members and find opportunities where they can better serve the chronic needs uh, of their members. uh, In you know, with alignment, with the physician alignment, with the hospital uh, alignment, with the hospitals that they own. Uh, And it was uh, without a doubt, without a doubt, they have one of the best models that I've been a part of and I've seen, uh, especially comparing what happens in a typical community setting with physicians and outpatient pharmacy and hospitals being so disconnected, uh, some of the time, uh, to what they've done and uh, the power that they have uh, through that. And also, that's you know, that's just on the clinical side. They have a whole infrastructure on the the product distribution side where they have a, their own call center, they have their own mail order facilities. And the robotics that they put into that and the efficiencies and uh, how they leverage, I believe they have about nine, 10 million members that they leverage for to get the best pricing on drugs, uh, which we got to see a piece of that, too. It was amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think you have a really interesting background, especially being that you have independent, you know, uh, community pharmacy experience and then going kind of to the PBM space where You know Uh and we'll get into this too a lot of times you know independence there's a huge you know culture in pharmacy now where independents really don't like what pbms are doing in the space um so i guess kind of what led you to the space like what wanted you to say like i want to go to the pbm space and see what i can do there like give us a little bit of background on that
0: yeah sure so you know practicing uh for these past 12 years uh in the community setting we have seen myself has seen so much so much of the issues that keep getting brought back up by all these independents and we have we have seen where employers are overpaying for drugs patients are overpaying for drugs and the pharmacies continuing to get squeezed from re- on the reimbursement side and that's really what led myself and and the partners in uh, in our company to say we got we ha- we have to bring a solution to the marketplace we can all talk about the problems and ask for support from government our senators Congress state uh, legislators to help bring some sort of balance counterbalance to what's what's been going on in PBMs but um, but if we don't bring our own solution then uh, then pharmacy will uh, eventually become a commodity. And are the practice of pharmacy will just you know, become t- something totally different where we won't have any control over what that is.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I want to be able to make the the conversation, you know, fairly inclusive for both, you know, people that, you know, are, are familiar with the space and also maybe someone that's maybe never maybe have heard the term PBM, but don't really know like what it is and, and why it exists. So can you give us uh, just some information and maybe break it down for someone that m- might not really know the specifics and the details about it? But what is a PBM You know, what role does it play and why why do they currently exist now?
0: Yeah, so uh, we have we have a nice uh, diagram that we that we usually put up to help explain this concept. And I'm going to do my best to try to explain this verbally and uh, we can go back and sort of revisit some topics. If something's confusing, let me know and we can revisit it. So so if you if you want to think about uh, the pharmacy supply chain, there's two big components to it. It's the product distribution side. And what that means is it's manufacturers, drug manufacturers, whether they are uh, brand drug manufacturers, so a single manufacturer, or they're generic manufacturers where there's multiple. It all starts at the manufacturer. They're making the drugs that patients end up using in the country. And... That gets distributed So manufacturers distribute that those thousands of pallets of drugs to wholesalers. And the wholesalers are what pharmacies, community pharmacies buy from when they need one or two bottles or you know, a couple on hand to distribute to the patients that come into their pharmacies. And so that's the distribution side, Whole, uh, manufacturer to wholesaler to the pharmacy, community pharmacies. Now on the other side, of of this diagram is all the contracting that happens. So there's not actually any product that flows to through these entities. But what they've done is they've contracted for reimbursements, uh, how much they're going to be charged for drugs, how much they're going to pay for drugs, where we're going to get, where their members are going to get access to drugs. And on that side of the diagram is what we call as the big or the big sort of collective of customers for PBMs, which are plan sponsors. And that could be government entities, uh, Medicare Part D plans, or the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program, uh, or commercial entities like health insurers uh, that use PBMs to administer their pharmacy benefits or employer groups. Employer groups oftentimes don't just go to an insurance company and say, I wanna buy insurance from you. They sometimes take on their own health insurance, pay their own health insurance claims, and that's called self-funding. And there's those those uh, employer groups as well that create their own sort of insurance plans. And uh, so there's many accountable care organizations, which uh, you know partner, there's these partnerships with uh, health, hospital health systems that create these accountable care organizations. And so on and so forth. Uh, these are the plan sponsors that contract with PBMs. They utilize PBMs, this middleman entity. And they contract with them to say, "I want you to get, give, tell me what access my members can have at which pharmacies and how much I'm going to pay for drugs." And uh, I am, you know, it is my implicit belief that I'm hiring you to help control my drug costs. And then they and then in turn, PBMs contract with manufacturers and pharmacies to get get access to the network pharmacy network access for for these members that represent the plan sponsors and uh, the cost of drugs. So they contract with pharmacies to say this is how much I'm going to pay you when you get a drug to one of these members. And then they contract with manufacturers to get rebates only on the brand side so these brand manufacturers that are one single source entities for these products they contract with them to get rebates so that they can put put, you know mitigate the the rising cost of drugs Mm
1: -hmm. so can we can we um harp on the the rebate thing real quick Uh, and because i think people hear rebates but i don't really think they understand what that means um Uh and i remember that being something that was uh, you know a learning point for me when i first started Getting into kind of the managed care side and understanding that uh, side of the business. So, can you just quickly talk about like what is a rebate and kind of you know specifically how that plays a role in drug pricing and PBMs and pharmacies?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Richard. It so it it, it all starts with pricing uh, and who sets the price for drugs. And uh, the top of the food chain are manufacturers, in particular manufacturers that produce the only product available in in pharmacy so you know a branded product that's uh, that's available in pharmacy is made by one manufacturer and the manufacturer sets the what's called the list price and there's different uh there's actually different price tags associated with this term list price but the manufacturer set what's called the wholesale acquisition cost or WAC price for a drug That's the whack list price that they set for the drug. They're saying my my drug for a thousand count bottle NDC is going to cost X number of dollars. Uh, Whatever that is, they get to set that price for that drug. They manufactured the drug and they set that price. The second entity in the supply chain that gets to set prices are the wholesalers. So when the manufacturer sells those thousands of pallets of drugs to the wholesaler, the wholesaler says, I am going to set another price, another list price for this drug called AWP or average wholesale price. Uh, And in the industry, it's commonly referred to as colloquially colloquially, uh, ain't what's paid. Uh, That is a complete (laughs) it's a completely inflated number. It's typically one. 20% above the WAC price. So 1.2 times the WAC price is typically for a brand drug, what the AWP price is set at. Uh, And then, so that's, that you have to understand the pricing side first to say, okay, these two entities are setting these prices. Now what's happening is the PBM goes to a manufacturer and says, for your branded product, whatever that branded product is, when one of my members that I have access to as the PBM, because I'm contracting with these plan sponsors, when one of my members gets this drug, one of your branded drugs, you're going to pay me X dollars from the list price. So if we walk back the example, we got a manufacturer that makes um, um, that makes a product like adfair and the manufacturer of Adfair, Adver is Glasgow S- Smith Klein, I believe. Uh, And Adver's, the list price for Adver is $500. That's what the manufacturer sets as this wholesale acquisition cost price. The PBM will go to the manufacturer of Adver and say, you're going to pay, you know, we're going to come to an agreement on what you're going to give me off a discount from that list price. So $200, let's just say arbitrary number. These are just examples that that manufacturer will pay to that PBM every time one of their members takes Adver. And, and then. What happens with that money is what what you know how this really gets confusing and complicated. But the term rebate applies to that $200 that the manufacturer of Advair pays to that PBM every time that member gets that drug. And it's not just it's not just every branded drug. The the manufacturer stipulates to the PBM that you need to make sure that my drug has easiest access so that I can give you that rebate. So that means. Adver needs to be on the lowest tier on your formulary for easiest access. No, uh, no sort of uh, drug utilization barriers to this product. Uh, and, and I'll pay you $200. If there are barriers, then the rebates go down, less barriers or to pay, I can pay you to, you know, sort of make the barriers go away. Uh, and then the, the rebates get higher and lower based on those negotiations.
1: Wow. That is super clear. By the way, it is GSK that makes uh, Advair. You were correct. I okay. wanted to confirm that. Um, Thank you. They, uh, so and the PBMs get these rebates, and they have the leverage for these rebates because it's almost like like purchasing power. It's like they have a large amount of you know members potentially that they'll have access to, which which is the incentive as to why the manufacturer would want to work with them um, to provide you know an incentive to to sell their their product, right? Ex-
0: exactly, exactly. Uh, if you look at every every entity's intention, every entity's motivation. The manufacturer's motivation is I need to make sure my drug gets to as many people as possible. And the only thing standing between me and these people getting my drug are the PBMs. And so that's what motivates them. And the PBM says, I hold the keys. Here's what, here's what we're going to need to do in exchange for you getting access to all the lies that I have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's right. I think that was, uh, you know, a, a very great breakdown as to what a rebate is and why that exists. Um, so. Going back to that diagram, because I, I think I know exactly which diagram you're talking about, and it, I'll uh, oh. I'll probably post a link to that in the show notes for people that want to review that. Now, oh. going back to that diagram, um, if, we, if we can just kind of continue on that path of, um, I think we finished off with kind of f- putting everyone in position as to who talks to who. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't know if, if there was a point that you want to continue off there with with uh, kind of explaining why a PBM exists. Uh,
0: so... Uh, yeah so a, a PBM sits in in between manufacturers and pharmacies to help uh, historically to help advocate for plan sponsors to keep the cost of drugs down that was their value proposition when this when this got started and we can go back through the history of PBMs how you know they they were paper claims and they were created to help uh, uh automate that, sort of streamline the, those paper claims through these health insurance companies that are starting to get more and more pharmacy claims. And then they were actually owned at one point or started by drug companies that, again, wanted to make sure that there was they could tap into this automation and streamline it. There was a huge conflict of interest wow. and, of course, wasn't as profitable. So then in the 90s, uh, drug companies sold off their PBMs, and now we have independently owned pharmacies, which now are going back into – we're coming full circle here – and the PBMs are now being back, uh, integrated back into health insurance carriers. With the big three being integrated, you know, with the health insurance carrier, as long as everything clears through through these hurdles. Uh, and so that that was the fundamental value proposition for PBMs. I'm gonna, you're gonna buy services from me so that I can get your members access to as many pharmacies as possible, and help to control the cost of drugs so that we your your members only use the most cost-effective therapies, and it's not it's not just, um, you know, it's not just um, uh, a claims processing entity. PBMs process claims. They um, execute formularies. They they create, and manage formularies, the list of drugs that are that that are going to be co- covered for certain populations, plan sponsors, um, and then. Uh, yeah, They they get a pharmacy network access. They also reimburse and pay pharmacies and contract for that reimbursement rate that they pay pharmacies. And then they contract with manufacturers as well for these rebates that we talked about. So those are sort of the, the comprehensive list of uh, services that, that PBMs typically provide to a plan sponsor.
1: Yeah. So how do, it's interesting to hear that, you know, I, n- I never really actually thought about this, that the, you know, probably in the creation of some of these pharmacy benefit managers, it was needed because of the amount of manual, potentially manual paperwork that was happening for them to automate it. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think that's something that we think now and we think about how everything works now. It's all digital. You know, it all happens like in an instant at scale. Um, So it's interesting to see how like that was needed back then. So how did it kind of evolve now? Like what did it kind of evolve into now? I know that, you know, especially looking at maybe even patient care and patient engagement where PBMs are now getting involved in. But how did it kind of evolve now into what is known as like the modern day PBM?
0: Uh, yeah so they uh you know the, going through you know, what we just talked about where um once once we had a a independent pharmacy benefit manager which is what happened in um since the 90s when when the drug companies sold off their their uh, investment in these companies these PBMs uh what what we've had is the the evolution of the business model, uh, and and I want to uh, want to highlight here that in our industry, particularly from pharmacies' perspective, there is a lot of frustration, there is a lot of uh, anger, and uh, and sometimes outright hatred for these companies, um, because they are quote unquote evil. Uh, and I want to sympathize with. What that th- that emotion and why pharmacies feel like that? Pharmacies, independent pharmacies, come up to have a uh, you know to to serve its community, to serve its members. They have a passion to help patients because that's that's why we go to pharmacy school. That's why we want to be involved in healthcare. Uh, to you know all all healthcare entities and and when they feel like someone's impeding on that, um, there's there's a lot of anger and there's um, some uh, uh fr- there's a lot of frustration that comes out of that and i i want to sort of reframe this argument this isn't this isn't about any sort of evilness or or you know even corporate greed for that matter even, even, you know, even though we might believe some of that may may exist we don't want to Im- implicit I- imply any of that uh, because there's really good people that work at these companies, and but what's happened is the evolution of the business model. When we talked about the fundamental value proposition that PBMs engaged in when they sort of when plan sponsors pay them as the customers to to bring them on for these very you know to manage this very complex set of, uh, of transactions that happen in healthcare, they believe that they're buying a partner that's going to advocate for themselves, for them to make sure that they keep their drug costs as you know as, as low as possible. and and that's where we've come to today where when a PBM had a relationship with a plant sponsor historically, they would you know do everything they can. they put up all these barriers in the early 2000s there would there was these formularies that were fighting were are pushing back the being the counterbalance with manufacturers to say, look, Nexium just came out, be, and, but prilosec just went generic and there's no need for a me too drug to be on our formulary when we have a perfectly good generic alternative and the end uh so and so and so then you know we they had, there was there's been over the over the past uh 20 plus years now there's been this constant back and forth there would be a new tool uh, invented or a new tool created to help push back against the manufacturers. And the manufacturers would come back with uh, copay coupon cards or uh, discount cards that could help members get easier access to their drugs. And then there would be this back and forth. And now today we have copay accumulators, and you know, we, we can talk about that uh, separately. But there's there's been this push and pull uh, where PBMs have been in really being the counterbalance to manufacturers and, and their high cost products and making sure that they had a cost-effective filter for members to go through so that they only used the products that were, um, were, were most clinically and cost-effective uh, to, to be used. Uh, and, and this is where we come to, to today, where pharmacies, plant sponsors, uh, and uh, to some extent, manufacturers uh, have a lot of of this frustration and distrust of the industry because they want to know what the value left in is. When they hear stories, when they hear the government, um, like like the Ohio Medicaid auditors report that came out that says the state of Ohio overpaid uh, a certain amount, uh, you know, for their pharmacy benefits, and uh, you know, where where where's the money going? What's happening to it? There's there's a lack of transparency. There's a lack of uh, trust and value in the system. To say, well, what are we actually buying? What are we getting? If if the sole job of the PBM now, has, the the business model has evolved to all of the you know the PBM's sole function as a uh, entity in a capitalist economy to make as much money for itself. What am I actually buying? Now uh, is this has this become more like a uh, a transaction that I would have, you know, in where I have to, now I have to be weary of what I'm buying because it's, you know, it, they, they may not be working on, in my best interest. What, you know, what, what do we have left here? And I think that's where the business model has evolved to uh, in the industry to say, what, what are we buying? What's the value in these services? And are are you really looking out for my best interest uh, because of all the things I'm hearing and, uh, and seeing and reading mm-hmm. now so we- when I look at my own data?
1: Now, would you say at like in terms of the press and the coverage that this is getting, um, you know, it it seems to me and I don't know if it's just because I'm also fairly new to this side of things, but it seems to me that the negativity and the awareness of it is increasing. Now, is that something that's more recent? Is it just catching more news coverage? Has it always has it been like that for a while? Um, You know, what's been going on there?
0: I uh, I don't have a lot of information on on how much attention this has this has gotten before. Uh, I know that, in particular, pharmacy, independent pharmacy has been uh, railing against uh, some of the practices of PBMs for uh, close close to a decade. Uh, but on the other side, the government pressure, the government uh, sort of uh, auditing and interest in PBMs and uh, the plan sponsors frustration, I, 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 I wouldn't feel comfortable talking to, you know, how much uh, attention it gets today versus what it may have been, mm-hmm. you know, previously. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I do know pharmacy has been pushing on this for quite some independent pharmacy has been pushing on this for quite some time
1: cool so how is it that a i guess actually let's go back to the ohio thing because um, huh? i think huh. that was mo- that was very recent yeah. um is there a way that you can do you have some background that you can give on that i'm not sure if you know like a lot of the details of what happened but i think it was pretty big in the industry um but i'm not sure if people really understood the potential ramifications of what happened there um is there any background that you can give to us on what happened in ohio
0: uh, yeah, so uh, here's here's how I'd lay out what happened in Ohio. In uh, Ohio, Medicaid uses a a system of access for their Medicaid members to access the healthcare system through what's called managed Medicaid. And what that means is that, and that contrasts directly to what we have here in North Carolina, which is fee for service Medicaid. So, managed Medicaid is the state of Ohio telling uh, telling commercial insurance companies that we want you to manage our Medicaid population. We're going to pay you X dollars for each life to manage them, and it's your job to help get them access to not only their medical care coverage but also their prescription care, uh, their prescription benefits. And uh, that's when that's what they pay. They contract out these services to these. Uh, private entities private companies health insurance companies pharmacy benefit managers to to take care of their their medicaid population in their state and of course one of the big drivers of 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 moving to a managed medicaid system was that it could save money and so ohio has this managed medicaid system where the state contracts for these private companies to manage their medical and pharmacy benefits for this fixed price and what And what they expect in return is some savings. And so what happened is there was the the, the state the uh, the auditor, the state auditor for Ohio said that we need to look into what you know we've we've been hearing some complaints from pharmacy groups that there's been some di- payment differentials. The pharmacy groups are state are claiming that, the payments that uh, certain uh, entities that own pharmacies these pbms that own pharmacies are paying themselves more than they pay independent pharmacies and there was a claim uh so that was that was one of the big claims there was another claim that led them to audit this um to, uh, to audit their pbms in their state as well and then what ended up happening they took they took a year they they looked at all the data. They asked for the data from these, they, these managed Medicaid entities. They divided them. So when they contract out for these managed Medicaid entities, it's not like one managed one one uh, private company manages the whole state. They actually divide them up into zones or sectors. And there's three or four different companies that manage all of the Medicaid, depending on which geographic area you live in the state. Uh, and so they asked all these companies for their data. And they didn't. An, they had a third party company do an audit. On on these claims to see you know what what what, what it, what's actually going on here, uh, and then you know one of the big revelations two two big revelations from the auditor's report that was released last October, I believe was that one. There was no there was no payment differential uh, of to the favoring the the pharmacies that the PBMs own. Uh, there was actually a payment differential where they paid a little bit more to independent pharmacies than they did um, the, sort of these retail uh, chain stores. And the second big revelation is the state overpaid. For uh, overpaid, not overpaid, excuse me, the state paid money that didn't actually make it to the pharmacies. Uh, And so and that's what in the industry is what's referred to as spread pricing. Uh, So the state paid X and pharmacies got paid Y and the difference was kept by the PBMs, uh, the spread pricing model. And they realized that uh, there there were some over 200 million dollars that was kept uh, by the PBMs uh, through for this one, year, I believe, it was a one-year one analysis that they had done on the claims, uh, and that's what led the state to now decide, starting January 1st, they, they sort of they they stopped all the contracts and they said there's going to be a more transparent pass-through um, service, or sorry, payment structure for uh, for our uh, pharmacy benefits. Now we're not just going to pay pay you guys a fixed fee. We need it to be more transparent so that we know exactly what we're paying you is what what the pharmacies are going to get paid and yeah there was some debate around ar- around that concept of spread pricing uh, and and uh, what came out of that and this is this is the two big things that uh, that I remember reading when I when the report came out yeah
1: now isn't the spread pricing though that's is that a, that's a normal practice of PBMs though right Traditional
0: PBMs, right? Not everyone in the industry does spread pricing, but traditional PBMs, traditional contracts uh, with PBMs, yes, the st- spread pricing is there. Uh, is there typically their, uh, one of the big revenue streams gotcha. for for PBMs? Okay. For PBMs.
1: So you are, you are let's jump into kind of what you're doing and and what you're doing in the space. And I could only imagine that you're entering you know the PBM world and. Um, I believe, creating your own PBM not to fall into all the negative press and not to hurt pharmacies. So how is it that a PBM now, uh, you know, I don't know if we want to call it the modern day PBM or or whatever, but Uh how does a PBM get created now that's actually going to help and benefit pharmacies?
0: So I'm going to I'm going to go back to the example that we were just talking about with Ohio and how Ohio has managed Medicaid services for their Medicaid population. And in North Carolina, we have a fee-for-service um, Medicaid. Um, uh, uh, that's how Medicaid, the Medicaid population accesses their health services and pharmacy services through what's called fee-for-service. So the state, the state of North Carolina takes on administering medical benefits and pharmacy benefits directly to pharmacies and directly with um, medical carriers, whether that's physician offices or our hospital health systems. And what we do in North Carolina is, uh, so sorry, what the state of North Carolina does in administering its pharmacy benefits in this fee-for-service program is use a pricing benchmark called NADAC. Uh, and so we're going to go back to that pricing uh, where manufacturers set a WAC price, wholesale acquisition costs, and, wholes- and wholesalers set the AWP price. And that's one pricing benchmark. AWP is what you'll commonly see uh, or WAC pricing is what you'll, what you'll more commonly AWP than WAC is what you'll see in, in pharmacy benefit contracts. And we and we talked about how the AWP price is sort of this inflated, uh, disconnected uh, price for a drug that has no bearing on what pharmacies actually buy the drugs for. And so in our model, what we want to do in in the company and the PBM that we've set up is to take. The way that Medicaid pays its pharmacies today, which is NADAC, that's the cost at pharmacy for the drug, pharmacy cost for the drug, plus a dispensing fee, a higher dispensing fee to cover them for uh, their margin that they make on the drug. And so it's not the the reimbursement isn't obfuscated between how much am I actually paying you for the drug and I'm going to pay you this tiny dispensing fee that sort of marginalizes pharmacy services, really moves it towards pharmacy being a commodity. Uh, and, and that's the model that we want to bring to the self-employed simple, self-insured employer space is this cost plus model that gets to the cost at the pharmacy, pay the pharmacy cost for the drug and pay them a higher dispensing fee so that they can, so that, so that things are simpler, simpler, clear, and add more value is our, uh, you know, is, is is what we bring to the market. And it's simpler for the plan sponsors. It's simpler for pharmacy without any of these games, clawback, clawback games, DIR fees, um, paying them under uh, some, and in, in 10 to 15% of claims that pharmacies are paid below the cost that the pharmacy can buy the drug for. So we get rid of those games, pay them a higher dispensing fee to show that there's value in pharmacy services. That's really what that was built, uh, that, that was incorporated into pharmacy claims to show the value of these pharmacy cognitive services, and then cover them for the cost of drug. Now, not only do the plan sponsors know this is the true cost of drugs. It's not just some discount off of the ceiling price. It's actually the floor price for a drug. And now we're adding this extra dollar amount fixed across all the drugs so that you can see exactly how much you're paying pharmacy as a profit. And now let's talk about what the value is you're getting for those for, for that um, that higher dollar amount. This is what you're paying. Let's talk about what you're getting out of that, how we can utilize and leverage pharmacy to lower these medical costs, downstream medical costs.
1: Now, it sounds like you're going to increase the, the transparency, which I think is great and I think is going to be pretty beneficial. But would some argue that a higher dispensing fee, would that higher dispensing fee have to come with required other services? Because I think some would argue that mm-hmm. dispensing a medication has become so efficient and commoditized as its own, mm-hmm. that that's not really where the, the the value is anymore in terms of providing a service. Um, would you say so? Does does these higher dispensing fees? Does that have to come with other clinical services that's required, or how? Does... Right. Uh,
0: that's a great question, Richard. And here's here's what our belief is. Our belief is the higher dispensing fee is is really a baseline for pharmacy. It's it's the minimum amount that pharmacy should receive to dispense a drug. And when we talk about when we talk about pharmacy cognitive services, we're talking about the things that pharmacy already does. That means, uh, and and particularly independent pharmacy does, which is establish a strong relationship with their patients that walk in their door, counsel them when it's appropriate for a drug that they're getting. Uh, Uh, screen their drug regimen for drug interactions, clinically relevant drug interactions, and resolve those issues for them. Uh, And so when we talk about higher dispensing fees for pharmacy cognitive services, we're talking about things that pharmacy already does. And we definitely want to have a separate conversation about what the the extra sort of value-added services that pharmacy can provide and how we can leverage pharmacy to um, sort of even further leverage uh, their integration onto the medical care team to lower these medical costs. Uh, and so this is just the baseline. We say, look, let's everyone needs to start from a certain baseline that uh, and, and, and then we need to highlight those pharmacies that are already going above and beyond because that's what they know and love and do it's, it's it's in their DNA, it's ingrained in them to take care of these patients, despite all of the games and all of these reimbursement issues that are going on today in pharmacy. And now that we're at a baseline, those true uh those true pharmacies that are going above and beyond for their patients are gonna come to light, and that's where we can take it to the next level then. Gotcha. Um and and you had mentioned transparency, Richard, and that's a fundamental uh sort of buzzword in the PBM space, transparency, and it and it's sort of a it, it's sort of still the wild wild west when it comes to transparency uh, in in pbm's world in the pbm world because pbms def- there, there's so many different pbms and they define it so in so many different ways that it doesn't uh doesn't really translate into in, into really showing and knowing what the cost is on both sides both for the plan sponsors and for the pharmacies and we hopefully can just get go beyond transparency, and we can go to a certain level of instant auditableness of claims, and know exactly why we paid pharmacy that price because we have this third-party pricing benchmark called NADEC that we use, that's um, national average drug acquisition cost, and that's why that's why you paid this much for the drug. It wasn't because some. Uh, some entity in the supply chain that has an interest for that price to be as high as possible has set that price at. It's actually what pharmacies are saying their invoice prices for that drug. And, uh, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you know, NADAC and where it comes from and all that. Um, but that's what we use to say, look, n- n- now you don't, you don't, you don't have to audit us to know why you pay this drug. This is, you know, you can just reference this this open source pricing benchmark that's available for everyone to to see that's what the price of drugs are today. And it fluctuates, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then the second component of what we do is advocate for independent pharmacy. So we have a, a, a tiered network like other PBMs do. And at the core of our, of, our, of our network is independent pharmacy. That's where we apply our cost plus pricing so that plan sponsors can get savings, their members can get savings through lower co-pays, and we can uh, and we have access to, you know, the other retail stores as well through our traditional contracts uh, that we have access to as well. So we have access to everyone, but we're trying to drive traffic to these independent pharmacies that naturally and already have to provide better customer service and higher quality clinical care to sort of compete against the big box stores.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it would be great to go over, uh, NADAC and maybe, so, uh, it's what's your, um, your company's called uh, self-insured pharmacy network. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's, uh, is the website was S I, uh, pharmacy network.com I believe. Yep. Yep. that's Perfect. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I'll definitely link that in the show notes, um, for people, uh, if they're interested to learn more or, you know, if they have a pharmacy that they want to sign up and, um, we can talk about NADAC, but I also want to also keep it a little high level as well, uh, with a couple terms that you might've used and, I'm not sure if people, you know, might not also be familiar with those, and that's uh, the, the DIR fees and clawbacks. Yeah, um, can you can you uh, just give us a quick, um, some quick information about what that is and um, why those are important?
0: Yeah, uh, and this uh, and this all ties back into uh, PBMs utilizing every revenue stream they have possible through all the entities in the supply chain. So they take, you know, monies from manufacturers, they take monies from plan sponsors through spread pricing, Um, they take monies from pharmacy through DIR fees, and then they take monies from the members themselves through clawbacks. And so a clawback is when a patient's copay is higher than what the PBM pays the pharmacy. That difference is the clawback that the PBM takes as a revenue stream. So, if the patient's copay for uh, for a torvastatin is twenty dollars or fifteen dollars, and the cost that the the amount that PBM paid that pharmacy for that drug is only six dollars, then that difference, nine to fourteen dollars, whatever that copay may be, that's what gets clawed back. By the PBM, uh, as as sort of saying, look, we you know we only paid you X dollars pharmacy, and you took tw- you know an, a, a Y dollars from patient, we get the difference, and that's what a copay clawback is taking revenue, uh, sort of creating a revenue stream out of these member copays, uh, and uh, and and PBMs get you know of course PBMs dictate to pharmacy what they're going to get reimbursed for drugs, and this is a, a a critical point to understand about the marketplace. We uh, unlike, unlike anything else in the economy, pharmacy and healthcare in general doesn't apply, abide by these free market principles. Pharmacy doesn't get to set its own prices or, um, uh, or really uh, have any recourse when there's, uh, when there's one payment given to them. It's very similar to what doctors uh, have to accept as payment when they contract with medical carriers as well. Uh, and so the only thing we have in control is how much we can buy drugs for. And that's really where it, uh, where we need to be really good and efficient today. In, and that sort of is really just uh, blows my mind to think that, you know, as, as a professional pharmacy, our sole job is to make sure we buy drugs for as cheaply as possible so we don't go out of business instead of taking care of patients uh, is sort of backwards uh, in my mind. Uh, and so then that's so that's a copay clawback, right? Uh, when patients copay is higher than what the PBM pays the pharmacy, they take that difference. A DIR fee, direct and indirect remuneration, is the post uh, post drug distribution. So so the po- so after the drug let me, let me rephrase this. It's after the drug leaves the pharmacy, the PBM will come in and say. You didn't meet these X, Y, and Z clinical metrics for adherence or 90-day supplies or whatever it may be. The, there are these, you know, eight or nine different clinical metrics that they can measure a pharmacy on. And what they what they say is, since you didn't meet them this quarter, we're going to take X percentage back uh, from all the claims that we paid you on, or X number of dollars uh, for the claims that we paid you on. And now that leaves pharmacy to just. Completely have no idea to do any financial projections. They can't know if they, you know, they receive ten dollars as a profit for a drug that they dispense today, if that's going to end up being three dollars or eight dollars or even negative reimbursement, depending on how much that PBM is going to 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 take back in these DIR fees. And that's really what's uh, really disturbing about DIR fees is that it happens after a drug has left the pharmacy, months, sometimes months after a drug has left the pharmacy. And there's going to be these extra payments taken away that pharmacies uh, really can't predict how much they're going to make on these products and sort of you know, project revenues and and operate um, because of this uncertainty.
1: Wow. And and what are the specifics of that? Is it that uh, there's a bill that the pharmacy gets and the pharmacy has to pay, you know, that cash back to the to the to the PBM or is it just like a, we're letting you know that we're going to be giving you less money at some point later on down the line? How does that work?
0: Yeah. Uh, so uh, typically, what uh, what we've seen is we've is is it's happened. DIR fees get collected twice a year, uh, sometime uh, Q2 between Q2 and Q3, and then uh, sometime between uh, Q4 and the beginning of the year uh, is when they they'll just collect these fees, and they'll collect it for the whole year going back, or the whole six months going back if they're doing it twice a year. Uh, and so it's just uh, it's it's you know, it's it's funny how the pharmacy payments work because PBMs control the flow of money. They'll typically just say we're going to withhold X number of payments, but it's for all the drugs that you've dispensed in the last six months. Mm-hmm. And you'll just get a lower payment, you know, that that month in in August uh, because of uh, or or if it's or if it's not enough, uh, because sometimes those fees can be really high for the past six months. They'll say you owe us you know X number of dollars. For, for these fees uh, yeah. for the last six months, but it's for the for for
1: retroactive claims. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that is so hard. I mean, it's. I wonder, you know, if people. It's crazy to think of like people from under, other industries, if they came in to see how like this was operated, they would probably like, wow, I like have no <laughs> idea how that's even allowed. But um, <laughs> right, right. it's interesting. So um, let, let, we can go back into uh, NADAC and maybe if you want to give us like a little breakdown of that. Um, I know we're, we're pushing close to almost an hour now, but I, I have some time. Hope you do, too. Um, I, I do have some more questions for you. Um, but we can talk about NADAC and maybe uh, maybe a little bit more as to if there's any other you know competitive advantages that you believe um, the self-insured pharmacy network has, um, and, and maybe why you know pharmacies should join. Sure, um, sure, up. sure.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, uh, loving this conversation. I'm glad that uh, we're able to share this with uh, all of your podcast listeners and and hopefully get them to start thinking and, and engaging in if they're pharmacy owners or pharmacy. Um, work in, in the pharmacy space, get them engaged in in really learning more about these things and figuring out how we can come up with more solutions on solving some of these problems. Uh, so uh, and um, so NADAC is uh, as we mentioned uh, this you know we're, we're competing against Pentagon for the number of acronyms we have in pharmacy yeah. <laughs> and uh, and what they mean. So so NADAC is national average drug acquisition cost and. What that is is a monthly survey that gets sent out to pharmacies across the country to send invoice prices back to CMS. CMS is the one who maintains this pricing list, and they send out a survey saying, "Send me your invoices, pharmacy, for all the drugs that you bought." And, you know, and uh, sometimes they just ask you for the invoice price, but most of the time, it's sending you sending invoices into the to this uh, third party um, CPA firm that then. Collects all this data. Here's the price we're going to set for this drug for, for any group of drugs or or NDC or by, by the NDC level. And they set the unit pricing for that drug based on what they what what the averages are across all these invoices that they have from all, all across the country. And that's what NADAC is. It's the cost that pharmacy buys the drugs for, which is completely, if you if you have any sort of uh, analytics that you run on nadac pricing versus the uh versus this awp price you'll see that there's a significant variation in what wholesalers set as this list price and the net price or this cost pharmacy cost that uh, pharmacies are buying this these drugs for and they're typically just to give you another layer of complexity here pharmacies community pharmacies buy off the manufacturer discounted price, and so they will they will get a whack minus buy drugs from the wholesaler, even though the wholesaler is setting this AWP pricing, and that's just a whole nother whole layer of of convolutedness. But that's what pharmacies are actually buying drugs for is is, is a discount off this whack price that these manufacturers set, uh, and then and sometimes even and for the generic space when there's more than you know five or six different generic manufacturers, the price can be uh, even more uh, uh, conflated and convoluted because um, there's typically no correlation then to the WAC price. It's just you know it's it's literally pennies, a couple pennies or pennies for uh, uh, for each unit uh, of drug that they're buying these uh, products for. Uh, and so that's that's what NADAC is. CMS created this pricing benchmark for its Medicaid for states that administer fee-for-service Medicaid to pay their pharmacies on a zero spread basis that's more transparent and really pay for the value of these services. They really wanted to maintain neutrality in in their budgets and really can and really have a, a clear view, direct line view to what pharmacies are getting paid and how much these drugs are being cost. And that's really why it was created and set up and accelerated after the ACA came into play.
1: Wow, okay. So any anything else about um the uh <laughs> your uh, your company that that pharmacies might need to know like before or, or, or anything that they'd want to know before they'd sign up and how to sign up um, if they'd want to?
0: We, uh, you know, we, we would, would love to be able to just share and inform not only plan sponsors, but pharmacies on how we can bring a solution to the marketplace that will unite all the independents under a, a common, simpler, clearer, value-added solution. Uh, and that's really, that's the, our mission with this PBM is to bring to the marketplace an alternative solution that can really uh, change the status quo. Uh, and we need everyone's help, including the pharmacies, to bring, to sort of bring this market force to say, look, we're united in this message. And we've, you know, we're going out and, and contracting with these independent pharmacy organizations called PSAOs Yes, yet another acronym, um, and so you know we're 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 building our 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 strength, but to have that message amplified by twenty-two thousand independent pharmacies across the country uh, is really the message that we want to to be able to send to the marketplace to say, look, there's a there's an alternative solution out here that can really change what's happening, and we can we can add value again. There's hope, and there's there's a way forward that doesn't uh, involve waiting on, on any government source to, to help, uh, you know, make things fair or change things.
1: Great. So again, uh, if any, you know, pharmacies that are interested and in, uh, want to, you know, uh, be a part of that mission, it's, uh, sipharmacynetwork.com. I'll have that in the show notes. And so let, let's move away, um, from all this, you know, PBM plan talk and, uh, mm-hmm. Pharmacy talk and well, not necessarily pharmacy talk, but just specifically let's move away from PBM talking. Sure. I wanted to get a general sense of what are you uh, what are you most excited about in terms of technology and healthcare as it as it relates to pharmacy. Any anything come to mind? You know, um, I'm a a little old school when
0: it comes to technology in healthcare. I my personal belief is that there is a, there is a a disconnect in in healthcare today. From and I'll, and I'll compare this to what I saw in Kaiser. Uh, you know, Kaiser integrated care model, one uh, technology platform that really helps to connect all the different pieces of the healthcare experience for a patient, for a member, uh, where everyone can have their part to play: pharmacy, nursing medical uh, you know physicians, specialists, hospitals, hospitalists uh, and, and allied healthcare professionals, you know OT, PT, uh, all of these services can sort of come together on under one platform to say we can you know we can really truly take care of this patient because we are the medical care team that surrounds this member to really influence their their trajectory in, in how well they are and how, how well they care for themselves. And that's really what I believe is missing in, uh, in in sort of the rest of outside of Kaiser and the rest of of healthcare in the country. Uh, and that's just communication, to you know, uh, sort of a two way communication across all these entities, and uh, also uh, uncoordinated uh, care, uh, you know, siloed healthcare information and uncoordinated care. That's sort of the foundation of what healthcare needs before we can go into all of these great tools. There's, there's a lot of great technology out there that uh, enables patients to connect with their, uh, with their doctors and connect with the healthcare system um, and electronic medical records. Um, And, you know, I I am completely for all of those, uh, all those tools, but I would say let's 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 deal with this foundational issue first reconnect all these members of, of the care team and there are definitely some tools out there that i know of um but i think that even you know even more fundamentally try to get this group really connected either through one platform or a communication tool that really helps to get pharmacy that's all the way out in the community away from um, the doctor's office and bring them you know, virtually or, or technologically in into the me- onto the medical care team and well, we think we have uh, uh, an answer for for that uh, through uh, SI Pharmacy Network, um, but uh, there's other there's other technologies that are that are coming in that sort of addresses this fundamental um, fundamental issue that that uh, I believe exists in healthcare today that we that we could solve for before we get even more uh, advanced. Uh, there was there was a quote that I read. From uh, I think on Twitter that uh, healthcare is the only industry where we've added technology and it's become more inefficient. Sort of um, more more barriers to care Mm. have have come up.
1: Uh, That's strong. That is that is a strong quote, and I really do I love your answer. I I think it's, you know, a lot of times we get caught up with you know the flashy lights, mm -hmm. the bells and whistles, and You know, we have like shiny object syndrome and, you know, all all these things start to pop up and Mm -hmm. we get really excited and then we forget that we haven't even really figured out the basics yet. So I really do like that answer. Um, All right. Uh, Last question here. If you had to take one person to dinner (laughs) and they have to be they have to be alive and they have to have a Wikipedia page, which means they should they probably should be famous and people will know who they are. (laughs) Who would that person be and why?
0: Okay. Ah, uh, um, I I have I, I'm pretty sure this individual is still alive. 99 percent sure. He's he's quite uh, he's he's quite aged. Um, but I'm pretty sure he's he's still alive. And and I'd have to go with a, an individual named Charlie Munger. H- have you heard of him, Richard? I have not. Charlie Munger is uh. The right-hand man to Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway, and the reason. That, here's what I love about uh, about your, I've, I've done a, a, I've read a lot about uh, uh, his his life and his career and his philosophy. And there's two real big things that stick out that I'd uh, would love love to get his personal opinion on at uh, at dinner if I ever got to, to take him out to it was how he solves problems, how he approaches problems and thinking through uh, problems, and how he makes decisions. He's devoted his uh, you know his entire career since they started Berkshire Hathaway uh, with Warren Buffett to getting better and better at making decisions and solving solving problems. Uh, I think that one of one of the things that is a commodity in today's world, is information. Information is ubiquitous at our fingertips. We can have access to millions of data points of information. Uh, but if we don't stay focused on critically thinking through what what that information is and how what that means to applying it to solving problems, and really every day what we do is making decisions. Some of those critical, some of those not critical. We could. Um, you know, we, we could go down uh, a path that, that uh, is completely fruitless for uh, as great and as big as uh, Berkshire Hathaway.
1: Nice. I like it. I'm definitely going to look his, his Wikipedia page up <laughs> to learn more about him. It sounds really interesting. Um, uh, any uh, any last words for the listeners before I let you go here? Uh, no, 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 no,
0: not really. I, I think that more, more than anything, we are our team here at SI Pharmacy Network is so excited about uh, uh, one of the solutions. We are not the solution. We know we're not the answer to everything and everyone in pharmacy. Um, but we are so excited and passionate about the work that we're doing and how we can make a difference in pharmacy uh, that we do it. Uh, uh, um, life or death you know this is this is the hill that uh, that we want to die on to help do something that can make a difference in pharmacy and we'd love for everyone and anyone who's willing to to join us to take this um, take it on with us and we we don't we, the one thing that I that I love to tell my team is that we need all the ideas on the table if we're going to find the best idea and if we don't have everyone's perspective everyone's input everyone's challenging us then uh, then we're just going to stay still just like everyone else and we're going to end up uh, perishing.
1: Yeah. Great. And uh, how can people reach you if they want to uh, connect with you after the episode? The uh, so uh,
0: the, uh, the number to reach me at SI Pharmacy Network is 919-436-3359 extension 101. They can there's a form on the website where they can send a message to our team and uh, more than likely it'll probably be me responding um, to them. There's a form to submit uh, uh, an email to us or they can email me directly at Vinay, V-I-N-A-Y dot Patel, P is in Peter, A-T-E-L, at S as in Sam, I as in India, S-I-PharmacyNetwork.com. Um, and that that would probably be the the three best ways to to reach myself or to reach a member of the team and um, and uh, and get in, get engaged in conversation.
1: Perfect. And I'll I'll link that up in the show notes. So if anyone's driving and listening to this, please don't try to write this down. I will <laughs> put it in the show notes so you can get access <laughs> to it later. Uh, Vinay, thank you so much for your time. This conversation was awesome, and um, I appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do as well.
0: Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And I uh, hopefully your your readers will uh, your listeners, excuse me, will will get uh, a lot of uh, great uh, information and understanding about this very uh, oblique space.
1: Hey, everyone. First of all, thank you so much uh, for being a listener, for being a subscriber and taking in all the content that we're putting out. And, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms, uh, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, We're on all those. And until next time, see you over the counter. Pharmacy.